Today's episode is uh, Sue Bowles. She is an award-winning author, master certified life coach, and uh, a Christian. We love Christians. So can't wait to have her on. Can't wait to speak to her. She has had an up and down life and uh, can't wait to get her perspective on things that are awry in the world today. So here comes Sue. Hello, Sue. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hi, Josh. Right. How are you? Awesome. Good, good. Good to see you. Good to see you. I was listening to a uh, podcast you had done recently and uh, super interested uh, to talk to you uh, because, uh, well, you know how some of these podcasts go. You don't know, you know, exactly, you know, you, you, right. you want to know exactly what to talk about, but when these things get set up, you don't realize like, oh, is it going to be something that I'm interested? Is it going to be something that uh, I'm going to be able to carry the conversation on? Right. And uh, yeah, it, like it, we're very in line, I believe, to have okay. this conversation. So I'm very, very excited. I already did the intro. The podcast is already going. Um I want to start because, uh, you know, I want to start at the hardest thing and then hopefully dig our way out. Sure. Uh, you ha had an incident when you were seven years old. Yes. I don't want to say more than that because I don't believe it's my, uh, you know, position to say that. So whatever you want to divulge about that incident that shaped your life in a very significant way uh please share sure um and I, I always do this try to do this anytime i speak what i'm about to share has to do with sexual assault it has to do with you know possibly eating disorders and being suicidal so if anything any of those topics can could be triggers for your listeners i really want them to be aware this is coming up have a self-care plan in place. If that means you need to come back to the show later, that's fine too. I never want my story to hurt somebody else. Uh, what Josh is referring to is that when I was seven years old, a classmate in first grade enticed me into the woods on the school property after school one day and held me against my will for 45 minutes and proceeded to rape me. And this is back in the early 70s. Rape was not on the radar. It was not an issue of topic of conversation. No one knew that anything happened. No one knew to ask because it just wasn't, a, it wasn't a, even thought of. And I didn't tell anybody. And it became a 15-year secret until I ended up telling my dean of students in my senior year of college. I think, I think it was a couple months before, a month or two before I graduated. And um, there was a lot that happened in between there. That was the very first event that 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 shaped a good portion of my life. And 
it really hasn't been until 2014 that I really started, and I even dealt with it over four decades after the event until I really dug into it with my counselor and faced down my demon and, and came out the other side. So this was a classmate hmm? that was the same age as you. At seven years old, another seven-year-old seven can... Right. I don't think that I've ever heard of another case like that. Now, is that common or? And I, I honestly don't know. I, I would hope it's not. Um, what Where I have come with it since, and, 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 and many people would have difficulty understanding this. And if you had told me years ago I was going to get to this point, I would not have thought that. Um, I now actually have compassion for the boy he raped me. I, I've never seen him since. I haven't talked to him. A number of months ago, I found my first grade class picture and picked him out right away and pretty much was right on with what, what I remembered in terms of what he looked like. Um, but I, I say I have compassion for him because if it wasn't on the radar for me at age seven, and we grew up at the same time, and it wasn't a topic of conversation, and it wasn't a concern that anybody even asked what was going on. What was he exposed to? And I hope not experiencing to do that. Well, that's a good, that's an interesting question. And it leads to this question. What have you thought about reaching out to him because you guys were the same age? I mean, usually it's an adult that takes advantage of a child or a right. man that takes advantage of a female or a adult female that takes advantage of a young mm -hmm. boy, right? Mm -hmm. It's that those are usually the ways that you see that. This is the first time that I've ever heard of the same and 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 excuse if 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 maybe I'm ignorant on this, you know, uh um have you thought about reaching out to him or finding him or has he maybe, uh, what are your thoughts on reaching out to him? Uh, you know, I don't, mm. I don't want to. Uh, I, I, I've thought about it once in a while, kind of wondering whatever happened to him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and I, I would, I would have to really work that one through with my counselor, you know, to really, before I even if, consider that. Um, you know, his name is very common, so there'd be it'd be hard to find him anyway. Um, at the same time, I don't know what purpose it would serve. You know, I don't even know if he remembers that. You know, again, I didn't remember it for 15 years. So, you know, but. Well, uh, well I was going to what I was going to say is like uh, maybe he has also remorse for that particular mm -hmm. and he has also, mm -hmm. you know, uh, pushed that down in himself. Mm -hmm. You guys are both seven years old. So, right. you know, at seven years old, I remember I threw a, a rock at a window and I was, uh, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then the parents <laughs> came and yelled at me and I was like, Oh, I'm in so much trouble. So it was, I was, <laughs> then I was terrified. So, you know, at seven years old, you're just being a kid, you're experiencing, you're pushing boundaries here and there. Now, obviously right. that's a boundary that's beyond yep. what most kids normally do. Right. Um, but that has to be, I would imagine, has to be something that he must have experienced in his particular uh, setting. Like that was normal for him, right? Yeah, and that's the sad part. 
you know, because, because for him, for him to, you know, have the knowledge to do what he did, something was not right in his, in his experience. And, and yeah, I, I don't know what it was. I, I, I'm sorry that for whatever he was going through. And, and I hope that um, that pattern did not remain. I, I'm hoping that he was able to, to, to make some better choices as he got older and, and came to uh, be able to deal with things a little better. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And I, and I hope that he found Christ and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, well, more importantly, I hope Christ found him. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's hand yeah. in hand with that sort of thing. So right. um, I'm a Christian myself, and so uh, am I. Yeah, I know. I know this, and uh, so I'm, that's why I was excited to talk to you, also, because I like talking. You know, I, I've talked to uh, another health professional, and he was as a man. I don't want to disclose his name, but he was an atheist. And and uh, he would say, you know, he would try to fix other people, mm. and I and I would say, well, how 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 are you trying to fix other people if you yourself don't necessarily believe in a in a higher power, right? You know, and I, I'm not wronging him or anything like that. We're not in any position to judge. We're just. Uh, we're just disciples, you know, the right. beacons of uh, the word. Like God is the ultimate. He He knows the entire plan. Right. So uh, it was just interesting to, to handle his conversation because I wanted to argue with him all the time. He said, this is just the way I'm built. This is just the way I'm built, he kept saying. And I was like, well, how? how? You don't even believe in a builder. How can he? How can you be built if you don't even believe in anybody that can build right. you? See, you know, right, like, right. and yeah, it, yeah. it was just like crazy, yeah, you know. But for yeah. me, but I, I'm not in a position to judge. I don't want to. I don't want to come off like I'm making fun. I'm not making fun of him. It's just, right. you know, everybody. God will bring you into Him whenever it is the right time. Right. I right. think, um, unless you're horrific. I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> know how that all works. Um. Yeah. So. This pandemic has had to have had a huge impact in your world right now, right? A little I mean, bit of one. Yeah, a little bit of one. You could slice it and dice it 10 different ways. And the, the suicide rates, the, the masks, and the impact that that has on social uh, abilities interacting with other human beings. hmm I mean, let's just start there with just those two things, right? <laughs> we could talk about that for hours, probably. But number one, the masks. Like, what do you think that 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 having masks as a symbol of compliance, as a symbol of uh, you know uh, uh, non-expression? And I didn't even have this written down, so that's why I don't know. That's why I'm stumbling about exactly how to ask this. What has, what impact do you think that that has had on people? What, how much does facial expression, and, and as a mental health uh, uh, expert, master certified life coach, right, mm-hmm. award winning author, master certified life coach, 
what impact do you think the masks have had on humans, kids especially, but uh, humans in general? Huge. And, and it's going to take us a long time to dig out. Um, aside from the politics of having, you know, of wearing a mask, looking at the other, the effects of it in terms of the, of the psychological effects of it. As a life coach, I am seeing a lot of social anxiety because you know, people had to stay inside. They became very seclusive and we have lost the skill and the life skill set of being able to have a conversation because suddenly it became through a computer screen where if I want to make a face at you or I want to get mad at you, I can say, hey, I got to stop, stop, step aside a second, stop the video. I can, you know, make whatever face I want at you and you're never going to know. And then put the smile back on and come right back on. We've, or it becomes a text or, you know, anything like that. We've lost the ability to just communicate. And part of that is being able to read body language. When I can't see your face, all I can see is, is your eyes. And if you work really hard, you can still kind of hide what you're feeling or thinking with your eyes. It's a little harder, but you can still see it. But if I can't see you smile, or if I can't tell if the rest of your face is matching what I think I'm seeing in your eyes, I don't really know what you're thinking or feeling. And I can ask you, but if you don't want to be honest with me, I have no way of counterbalancing that. We have lost that ability to communicate and to just enjoy being with each other. You know, some of the clients I've been working with early on during the pandemic and shortly thereafter were afraid to go out of their apartment, not so much because of the virus, but just because of what they were thinking in their minds of, I don't know how to interact with people anymore. I don't know what to expect. I don't know how someone else is doing, and I'm not really sure how I'm doing. So I'm not sure how to interact. And, you know, just, just needing to work with them and find one thing they were interested in. And then to, you know, what are you interested in? What are you willing to, what step are you willing to take to stretch yourself? And, and for you, know, for some people, it was, I'm, I'm afraid to ask this person just to meet me for coffee because I don't know what I would talk about. And being able to then have that coffee. And even be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And then, but then to see that continue to build and grow where, you know, this person is, you know, is, is looking to be a leader in the church now. So, you know, it's, the masks have a huge impact. And I don't think people understand that. And especially you're asking about the kids. Children interact very much facially, very facial, very much verbally. And if, if this mask is, one, making it hard to be seen physically and, and, you know, and, and theoretically, and then two, making it harder to be heard, then again, it, it comes back to those communication skills and, and just all the basic life skills. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, we have a lot of digging out to do. I mean, I know there was a lot of a lot of comments from school from school educators about you know, the social social emotional learning and needing to bring that back because they lost so much time. And I'm hoping that that's starting to rebound. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the restrictions are starting to pull back, but it is not because the government necessarily wants to pull back on these restrictions. There's just been a lot of pushback from. Right. 
citizens. Have you seen that in in, in your uh, field? I'm wearing a Truckers for Freedom shirt. I, don't I know saw if that. You can see this right now. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You know, because I'm just like, all right, come on now. Like, enough with the government in mm-hmm. meddling in like people's parenting in whether or not you want to be medicated for something these used to be freedoms that we had and now right. you've introduced a or uh, whether you believe it came from a lab or whether it was introduced <laughs> by humans or it came out of nature it does it's regardless of that you, you're seeing the government infringe on our freedoms mm-hmm. right our and so my question you know, I know that's political. I don't want to. I don't want to go all there. But um, my question is, uh, I forgot what my question was going to be. To be honest <laughs> with you, like I'm so fired up about this whole <laughs> m- mandate thing and this and that. Like I just, I, I'm just ready for it to to like the people that are in the government officials are literally affecting our children's lives that's my right it's not my question it's it's my it's my i'm fed up with it i'm fed up with the with the government messing with everybody's lives it, mm-hmm. imagine you're seven years old you had your life experience with another seven-year-old that impacted you in a way imagine all these seven-year-olds that are mm-hmm. now that are having to wear a mask and now that right. are that have uh, are not able to uh uh you know, reach the potentials that, uh, you know, that, that everybody else got awarded, you know, like, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. I'm, I'm just a little <laughs> upset. I, yeah, I'm sorry. All right. You're fine. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's okay. We're going to rein it back in here. Um, I'm trying to think because uh, you've hit so many things that are just like, like just crazy. Um, uh, I don't even like talking about some of this stuff. So the rises in suicide rates, have you noticed uh, like what, what's, (laughs) what's going on there? It's because of the lockdowns and because of the masks and because of the government, uh, you know, infringing on our freedoms? Is that what's happening there? I'm not going to attribute it to that because I I think, you know, when you, when anyone is to the point of wanting to take their life, there's more to it. There might be that last push that pushes them over the edge, but there's been a lot that's been building up behind that. And and sometimes just that that, that last straw, so to speak. Um, I, I think... You know, depression and anxiety are through the roof. Eating disorders have gone through the roof, you know, and, and you know, with the pandemic. And, and a lot of it is that if there's one good thing that has come out of the pandemic, it's that mental health is the stigma starting to get broken down. More and more people are talking about mental health and, and the lack of information and knowledge about eating disorders is starting to, to come to light as well. So we can start talking about that. There are Olympic athletes, and I don't remember which one it was. I think it was a-, a I know, Simone, was. Simone Biles. Oh. But not just Simone, I mean, in the Winter Olympics right now- who Oh, just recently. About their eating, yeah, there was a, an article on nationaleatingdisorderassociation.com, their, their, their internet site, where there was a, an article about 
a, a winter, winter Olympian who was talking about their, their eating disorder. Even I was watching ski jumping earlier this week and they were talking, there was an article online that even said that ski jumping, one of the secrets within ski jumping is, is eating or is in eating disorder because you know, the, there's a phrase that the, the coaches say is, you know, fat doesn't fly. And I don't like, I don't like saying that, you know, but, I'm, but, and, and I, I hate that phrase, but what I'm saying is that there are Olympic athletes who are finally starting to shed light on, yes, I've had the struggle with an eating disorder. And so that all this to say, there's a lot of underlying stuff going on that with the pressure of the pandemic and everything that came with it, it, it brought up things because that's what, that's what pressure and stress and trauma will do. Because here's the thing, we have all been through a collective trauma. The pandemic is a global trauma. And if people aren't seeing it that way, then they are downplaying the effects of it. So the fact that all of us have been traumatized in some way, be it through you know, lockdown, be it through some people lost their jobs, some people, you know, many people lost a family member and didn't have the privilege and, and, and the opportunity to be there with them. So there is that, that loss. You have the loss of, loss of a person and the loss of the opportunity to be with that person. So you have a double loss right there, both of which need to be dealt with and grieved. So you have all these things compounding each other that the pandemic brought more things out. And if things are not dealt with, no matter what it is, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score and the body will, the body, it keeps the score. If you don't deal with it, it's going to come out in some other way. An eating disorder is an addiction. And the, the difference, though, is that in any other addiction, to survive and be in recovery, you abstain from the issue. On an eating disorder, you have to face it down because you cannot abstain from food and live. So that actually makes it even harder. But all this to say that we've been through collective trauma. And traumas bring more things out that have been underlying. So I think to get back to the question about the increase in suicide rates, the, the pandemic brought, has brought up other things that people may or may not have even realized were there. And then they don't know how to handle it because they haven't handled it up to this point in time. And then you magnify the emotion and the intensity behind it. And, and you just don't know what to do. And then because of lockdown, because of access and everything, there's, there's less opportunity. You, you don't even know where to go. The people you might usually talk to because you pass them in the hallway or, you know, you have an access to and you see them at church or something like that. Um, you may not have that opportunity. So suddenly you feel more, more enclosed, more trapped, more shut off. And, and if you, if, if, if that courageous and heart and, gut-wrenching first step of reaching out doesn't happen. And we're seeing what happens because no one knows you're someone is suffering unless you either are involved with that person and you have the conversation or the person reaches out. When we are separated by a computer screen and by a mask and by social distancing and everything, we are losing that human connection at a time when we need it the most. Can you break down for me 
what an eating disorder is. Sure. Like, thank you. As a, somebody that is completely ignorant to the fact that people have eating disorders. Not a problem. And, and I appreciate that because I am in recovery for an eating disorder. And, and when I first started speaking, it was as an eating disorder advocate just to share my story. And it has just you know taken off since then. Um, an eating disorder is an addiction. And it is usually based, you know, usually a result of some kind of unresolved issue, a trauma, unresolved emotions, and it's some kind of something with that, um, a situation, something that's unresolved has to do with power and control because everything else in your life feels like it's out of control. So the one thing you can control is your relationship with food and that causes it to go off, to go off track. Now, there is a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about eating disorders. If I did not tell you I had an eating disorder, my guess with Josh would be you're, you say you don't look like it. You don't look like you have an eating disorder. There yeah, is because no, what is the mo, what is the main misconception of an eating disorder that you eat too much? Uh, that's or that it. you or that you throw your food up, right? Those two: bulimia or eating too much, right? Or 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 anorexia. People people have the stereotype in their brain that the look, whatever that is, of an eating disorder is either skin and bones or over or overweight. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you there is no look to an eating disorder. There are the eating disorder I have is called OSFED. It stands for other specified feeding and eating disorder. What that means is that I do not meet all the diagnostic criteria for binge eating, bulimia or anorexia, but I still have disordered eating. I still have a bad relationship with eat, with food. And eating disorders are, at one time, they were the deadliest of all mental health issues. They are now the second deadliest only to opioid addiction. And the reason they are so lethal is not only because of the damage that we do to our bodies, but also because of the suicide that goes along with them. Because eating disorders usually have what they call a, a comorbidity, some other you know, mental health struggle that, that ties with it. An eating disorder does just pop up on its own. It is triggered by something. I said it's an, it's an addiction. Addiction is, is genetic. Now, I'm not saying that that eating disorders are only genetic. They are affected by genetics. They're affected by your environment. They're affected by your personality traits. They're also affected by, by external situations, you know, like trauma or something like that. But it's an addiction and it's like an addictive personality. Now here's the thing though, alcoholism runs in my family. Alcoholism, this is an addiction. It is hereditary as well. You may have a bent towards it. But it doesn't mean that every single person in that in our family is going to be an alcoholic. My dad is in recovery, goodness, 30, 31 years, 32 years, something like that. Give him the 32. Give him the 32. It, it, it might be more than that. <laughs> there I, you I, go. I'm Give trying to remember. I, yeah. I, I, I talked to him the other day and he's lost track, which is wonderful. <laughs> but yeah. but you know, and I see him tomorrow. Um, you know, but he's in recovery. My brother celebrates 10 years recovery here in a couple of weeks, but there are, you know, I have four other siblings. All of us have that genetic propensity towards an addiction, but not all of us have, have gone into an addiction. My addiction ended up coming out as an eating disorder. I have others and family members that don't have any addictions at all. So all that to say that 
um, eating disorders are genetic, but it doesn't mean that every person you know in a family is going to have it, just like any other addiction. <laughs> With an eating disorder, as in any other recovery, self-sponsorship does not work. You can ask anybody in, in, in NA or AA, and, and they'll understand what you, know, what you mean. Um, you cannot recover alone. Treatment teams are critical. You know, my, mine, mine is a dietitian and my counselor. Um, other people, you know, may need some medication to help balance out you know, those other, you know, maybe if, if it's depression, they may need, need some medicine to help balance that out a little bit. And that, that helps them then deal with the eating disorder part of things. Um, you know, medical doctor, obviously. If, there are, if there's group therapy that you can find, those are hard to find. Uh, but if you can find those, those go a long way. There are so many different aspects. Yes, there are treatment facilities for eating disorders for those who are in need of it. Um, not everybody is in need of it. But you know, I, it's what I used to call um, the weird, warped, and whacked out world of an eating disorder mind because you're not thinking clearly. And, and that has to do with you're, the way you're starving your brain, you know, when we don't eat properly, and what I mean by properly is a balanced meal of, you know, fats, proteins, and, and carbs, have that balance in a consistent manner regularly throughout the day, because then your body is getting what it's designed to do. I, I go on a little bit of a soapbox here about eating disorders, because diet culture is counterintuitive to an eating disorder. Eating disorders are not diets gone bad. They have nothing to do with vanity. They have nothing to do with, with anything like that. They do have to do with body image. But if we are not properly feeding our body, carbs are the only thing that give your brain energy. Fats are the only thing that give you the sensation of feeling full and will protect your body or your, your, your vital organs. And protein is the only thing that will rebuild your, your, your body strengths. See, we need all three of those. So if we are denying our body any aspect of that, we are throwing our body in disarray. And over time, it starts affecting things because the brain won't start work, won't be working correctly. It won't be able to properly process things. It won't be able to properly interpret stimuli, situations, how to respond to things, and, and that instability starts. So it is, it, it's very, it's very, it's biological, it's psychological, and they are very complex. And I said earlier, if there's one good thing that's come from, from the pandemic is that more people are coming out about their eating disorders. Years ago was Demi Lovato. Other, you know, Michael Phelps came out talking about his depression. And I think I think he was an eating disorder as well, and that has helped so much because there is such misinformation out there about it. So, is vegan a eating disorder then, based upon what you just said? Because I, you're not taking in the other one or two vital. Carbs would be the, or protein would be the number one thing, I guess, in the vegan diet. Or can you get from a vegan diet all three of the uh, 
what do you call them? What's carbohydrate, protein, and uh, fats, right? You need all three of those, those nutrients. Can you get that from a vegan diet? Can you get that from a carnivore diet? I am not. That's a new trend, by the way, the carnivore diet. I am not really very well versed on on vegan or carnivore or anything like that. Um, And a little bit, I believe, and I don't want to say for sure, but I believe that in some of the literature you see that they talk about vegan diet. And again, you know, moderation is key, but um, you know, one, one, there's an eating disorder called orthorexia, which is the, the, the obsession with clean eating. And, and even, you know, so, so anything to an extreme is, is, is a concern. There is, there's an eating disorder. I wish I remember the name of this, um, that more men tend to have because that's another thing is that men and women both get eating disorders. So um, men usually are diagnosed later because people don't think men can have eating disorders and boys can have eating disorders. But even, even you know, there are some sports where eating disorders can come out more or have a propensity for it. Wrestling is one. Think of it when a wrestler has to cut weight before a match. And what are they doing? They're starving their body to cut weight. That is a pre-disorder behavior. And so all those little things that we don't realize, we think is, oh, it's part of the sport. No, it shouldn't be. Well, that's because they want to cut weight. And this is the reality of the sport because I know the sports world. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to cut weight so that they can make weight and then regain the weight back so that they Mm -hmm. can fight a smaller guy and win. Right. That's the whole purpose. They don't want to fight a bigger guy. They want to fight a, or even the same size guy. Mm -hmm. The the more weight you can cut, the more of a winner you can be in that particular division. And that's But what are we, what are we saying? Right. What are we saying about how you're treating your body? Sure. I think it's wrong. You know, I think it's absolutely you're, wrong. you're doing a yo-yo in your body and you're throwing yeah. off your metabolism. Absolutely. That, that's what ends up happening. What, yeah. what I learned, and it took me a while because for, for me with my eating disorder, I learned to shut off my hunger. I got uncomfortable in the dining hall in college uh, because of the masks that I wore, not COVID masks, just psychological masks of you know trying to paint myself because I was so insecure, painting myself as the strong one had no needs, you know, had it all together. It was like that. By this time, my brain, I said, wasn't because I wasn't feeding it. It wasn't, wasn't op- operating correctly. And trauma rewires your brain. So age seven, before my brain really had a chance to develop, it was already rewired. So I already had you know, two, you know, a strike against me there. Um, I interpreted it as if I went up for more food, because I would have enjoyed some more food that everyone in quotes um, would know that Sue had a need. And I had painted the picture that Sue had no needs. So God forbid Sue be found out. So I dumped my tray, got out of Dodge and snapped in my room. And that's how I learned to shut off my hunger because I was uncomfortable. So. Yeah, I was going to say that disorders, whether or addictions, Mm -hmm. whether they be alcohol an eating disorder, a drug addiction, whatever have you. It's a very isolated thing. When Whenever you're addicted, you do that whenever you are, quote unquote, by yourself. You're never by yourself, by the way, because God's always watching. Right. But right. you do right. that out of the eyes of 
uh, peers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any addiction is shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. I lied so much when I was in my in, in my disorder. I got tired of trying to remember what I said to who. But I was lying to cover my tracks the same way an alcoholic lies to cover their tracks. Same yeah. thing. And that goes to my to my to this question that I had for you was: hmm. Do you think that any humans don't have an addiction, or let me ask it in the reverse? All humans have some sort of addiction, right? We're born in. We're basically this. This earth is. And you're a Bible believer, right? Mm-hmm. This earth yes, is a broken world. Mm-hmm. It is a, we're living in, we're, we're living in a sinful world. And those that are trying to get out of sin are the ones that are following God. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you don't, so aren't we just all addicted <laughs> It, to one thing or another, it could be Coca-Cola, it could be podcasting, it could be anything. If you're not following God, then you're probably addicted to something. There's an idolatry. That's what idolatry is, right? But yeah, I, I, I want to be careful with that word addiction because we throw around words without really realizing what we're saying. Okay. And that cheapens the word. Sure. And then and then it also makes it harder for those who truly do have an addiction to reach out because they're okay. like, well, with everybody, I'm good. So, so I want to be very careful with what words we use. Um, having said that, my defini- definition of addiction would be something that interrupts your life to in, in an extreme way. So in that way, I don't think every person has an addiction. Now, there may be propensity to, um, you know overuse something thinking of social media you know how many people are constantly on their phones is that an addiction i you know, and now yes some of that are you asking there. or are you no. saying because <laughs> well, i would but, say that yes it is an addiction to some people right. yeah, for some people for some people yes for other people no you know right but um, my, my question was do you think that every human being has an addiction to something and that is what their thing is that they have to overcome meaning everybody has something to overcome whether it be i don't know whatever it is but they but every or or let's ask it in reverse do you believe that there are human beings out there that are giving given life in a silver platter and they have no addictions they're perfect and they could just thrive however they want right meet if we are living in this world and not everybody has the same starting point right mm-hmm. right doesn't everybody um, have something that they have to overcome quote unquote addiction quote unquote addiction um all of us have struggles yes I, there's no perfect person. No one has you know, the silver platter life um, as much as they might want to paint that picture. I, th- I think maybe the better way to put it is that we all wear masks. We all you know, have the image to uphold and we try to make people believe we're someone that we're not. I think that's the issue that every person struggles with. And that is, that's the, that's the, 
that's one of the, the big things that separates out people are the ones who are willing to fight for authenticity and, and, and uh, vulnerability and those who are willing to keep putting, putting on the show. So do you, cause I heard this on your other podcast, you said you, you wear masks, but you're talking about that figuratively, right? Correct. Yeah. And I'm very anti-masks literally like <laughs> it, because it, it seems to me like, uh, because figuratively and literally it's both the same sort of thing, right? You're putting, you're putting the mask on people to see whether or not they're compliant or not, see whether or not they're scared or not. Right. Like it's like uh, almost like a, uh, gosh, what is the word? I always struggle with this word. It's a, uh, not a stereotype, a subliminal message. Wearing your mask is a subliminal message of, uh, uh, you know, that you're just going to to do whatever, whoever is in authority is going to tell you what to do. And the same way that you use, you know, your uh, analogy of uh, wearing masks figuratively, you are basically complying to your fear of, uh, you know, whatever trauma you had done to you at a certain point in time. So taking your mask off is sort of the same thing as literally taking the mask off so that nobody is under any sort of any other authority that is unjust. I guess, did I make that point right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know that I would put those on the same plane because, you know, the, 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 the figurative masks I'm talking about have to do with basically lying to myself and lying to others. It doesn't have to do with compliance. It has to do with um, painting myself to be someone I'm not and wanting others to believe that. So it's like I'm trying to sell a show. I don't think that the, the, the physical masks aren't about selling okay. the show. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's the other way around. Right. You're right. you're you're being made to put on a mask. You're not uh you're not putting I'm the mask on yourself. You're no. you're now you're putting the mask on yourself. Right. The other way right. around though, I'm saying is they're putting the mask on us. So that's right. the right the right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um I'm getting off masks, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, tell me about the your your retreat program. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, if 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 anyone's seeing the smile on my face, you can probably hear it in my voice. Oh yeah. Uh, walking stick retreats is very precious to me, and to 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 give a little bit of background. You've heard a little bit of my story. There's a lot more to it we haven't gotten into. Um, but come 2014, I was working with my counselor and we had finally gotten me strong enough in the present. I, I started meeting with her in 2008. So we had to spend six years dealing with just current stuff. One, to try to get the eating settled down, but then also to deal with current stuff because I had a lot of boundary issues and I was letting myself be manipulated and walked on. I couldn't speak up for myself and felt I didn't matter and all this other stuff. So we had to deal with the present before we could go back and deal with the past. 
So around 2014, we finally started digging into that. Um, now, I remind you, this is over four decades since the event, literally a lifetime. So if you have, a, have four decades of life on top of the first event, there's a lot that goes into it. And in some ways, it was hard. It, I don't say it was harder because I haven't, I haven't been in a situation where I've dealt with the childhood trauma right at that time. It's hard regardless. It was extra challenging because I was looking at a childhood event with an adult mind. And I was making judgments against myself with my adult mind, applying knowledge I have now to a situation where I didn't have that. So I had to really work through a lot of my tapes as well. So having said all that, dealing with this in 2014, my brother had had to serve 18 months in prison for a drunk driving accident. He got out in August, 2014. In the course of that, you know, in, earlier in the year, there was a movie that had come out called Ragamuffin. And it was based on the life of uh, the late Christian musician, Rich Mullins. Um, are you familiar with Rich at all? I'm not. Music at all? Okay. Uh, one of his big songs in the 90s was called Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns power and love with wisdom, power and love. Okay. So, uh, so and he, he, he toured the world. He was, he was very well known. And the movie was a real hard watch for me because I was starting, I was just, the, the pump was primed. I, I was starting to deal with some stuff. There were some things that came out, especially in the first 20 minutes of the movie that were really hard because it struck a chord for me. And again, I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really been open with a lot of people about what I was dealing with. So I did a lot of the, there's just something in my eye, mom, you know, kind of thing. But I did, again, I wasn't ready to be found out yet. So fast forward that summer, the folks involved with the movie wanted to do a retreat to continue the conversation about the movie themes, one of which was the masks that we wear and authentic being authentic and, and, and vulnerable. So I ended up going to this retreat. What kicked it for me was that my brother got out of prison. He saw people in town. Man, I haven't seen you for a long time. Where have you been? He said, in prison. And, I, and it really struck me because if anyone had cause for shame or embarrassment about your story, I would think my brother did. And yet he unabashedly was just saying, I was in prison. God had to send me to prison to save me from myself. And that really convicted me. And I was telling my counselor this. And I said, I just want to be authentic. Just get me ready for this. And we spent six weeks getting ready for it. I went into that first retreat, buying the lie my brain had convinced me of, that I was too far gone, that I was a screw up. I was a waste of time, too wounded, too bruised, too broken, too everything for, for, to be of any good. I was basically taking up, taking up space, waiting to die. And I was starting to implode. One of the staff members has since told me that she, she kind of saw it as a, a type of a Hail Mary pass for me of, could I really be lovable? And could God really love me? In the course of those two and a half, three days, I went in calling myself the holy exception. Everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. I went from that to leaving Sunday, starting to believe and be able to say for the first time, 
that Jesus Christ not only loves me, he likes me because there is a big difference. And that God is absolutely head over heels crazy about me. And that happened because during that weekend, I owned my story. I did not like my story. I can't say I like it now. I just like the good that's coming from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I hated my story. I was in denial about my story. And I had to, I, I came face to face with my story and I had to, had a lot of, a lot of hard work that happened that weekend to get me to that point. That helped get a springboard going. Went back to second year. Second year, I ended up grieving my story. The theme that year was the disappointing Messiah. And at first I hear this, my God's not disappointing. And we talk more about how we put disappointment on God when we feel he doesn't meet our expectations. So that really hit. <clears throat> so second year, I grieved my story. The third year, I came back with the nugget that I am valuable to God. And that is when things started to change for me, when I dared to believe that I mattered. That's when things started to change. And then it's just continued to grow since. Uh, we do these retreats twice a year. The next one's coming up end of April this year. It's in when? Southeast Southeast yeah. Indiana, April 29th to May 1st. It's open to anybody. The website is walkingstickretreats.org, and you can register. Um, actually, the theme for April is, is story, the power of your story. And um, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to that. But But these people, it's... There's nothing magical about retreat. It's the power comes from the leadership getting out of God's way and letting the Holy Spirit do his job. They create an atmosphere where it's okay to be broken. It's okay to ask questions. And it's okay just to be quiet if you need to be quiet or be angry if you need to pound something out with God. It's an atmosphere where you are accepted, point blank, no questions asked. And you're just loved. And, and that's, that's what we all want is to be accepted and loved. And, and I have found that through walking stick retreats. God has, has done the healing work in my life. He uses that for me. He uses it as a springboard to plant some more seeds. And then the growth and the healing continues on throughout the year. One of the powerful things about retreat is we have a, a Facebook group just for people going on retreats. We can get to know each other beforehand. That very first year, they opened up the retreat room and we were all strangers. We had about 50 people at that first retreat and we were all strangers and they asked us to be courageous and to share our story. The only commonality we had is everybody had seen the movie. That was really about the only commonality we had. <coughs> so I lurked in the room. I was kind of stalking. I would read other people's stories. I would comment, you know, encourage them, but I was not sharing mine because I had never shared it before. And I kind of finally got the inkling and the urge. So about four o'clock one morning, I hooked up to uh, the coffee pot and got the computer out, spent about a half hour typing out my story. I think I gulped loud enough for the entire city to hear when I, when I hit post. And all day long, I waited because I knew, in quotes, that someone was going to trash me because it's all I had experienced in, up to then, because I didn't think I had anything worth of value. I didn't think I mattered. I didn't think anybody cared. That's why I wanted to kill myself twice in my life. Um, but instead, there was nothing but support from 
absolutely total strangers who said, you're so brave. I want to hug you. I can't wait to meet you. And it's so cool what God's doing in your life already. And that gave me the courage to go into that retreat and do the work that God was putting on my heart to do. I can also tell you that was 2014. I can also tell you seven and a half years later, I still have yet to hear one negative or comment. Not one. That is the power of, of, of love. That is so beautiful. And Josh, you got to come to retreat in April. I want to. I want to. I'm going to bring the truckers for freedom with me. Like, for real. Like, I want to. I think everybody should should want to. You know, the the whole thing with this, with everything that's going on today is, and, and, and what happens with you not wanting to share your story or anybody not wanting to share their story is shame. Exactly. They feel shame. Who's shaming you? Right. Not God. Not God. The devil is shaming you. You have to identify who the enemy is in the room first before you can identify who's on your team. You know what I mean? I'm a sports guy. So I know like, look, the devil is the one shaming me. The devil's making me the one feel that I'm not allowed to say my truth or whatever. However shameful it is, God Mm -hmm. is going to accept you. And you mm-hmm. have to believe that. And the only the only spirit that is telling you not to share your truth because it is shameful is mm-hmm. the devil. Right. And one of the staff of the retreat is Kathy Sprinkle, and she's a licensed therapist. And she the very first year she she shared this and she continues to share it periodically. It's a Brene Brown quote, and it basically says that shame. The difference between shame and guilt are two very different things. Shame is what I am and who I am. And guilt is what was what I did. But we confuse them and we think we are shameful because of what I did. And, and, and it's not you know, shame, shame. The difference between the shame and the guilt is shame is 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 about what you feeling who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we are not shameful people. We are God's kids. Now, we yes. may have guilt over what we did. Yes. And that's where you take it to the cross and you repent and you accept that forgiveness. But guilt and shame are two different things. And that's one of the things we talk about retreat that is usually a really big aha for people mm-hmm. because, yeah. because we're so caught up. I was caught up in my shame. That's yeah. why I hated my story. And I was ashamed to share it. My, my dog's down here. He's honking at me. No, another another thing, another layer. I will add on to the shame because this is part of my uh, uh, coming to Christ story. Shame is not about you feeling bad about yourself necessarily. It is about others shaming you. It is mm-hmm. about you. It is about you not necessarily feeling like whatever is within you is shameful. It is about what you think others are going to think about you that is shameful. And that's, that's a, that's, I think it's an important thing because you have to understand that you're living in a spiritual realm also mm-hmm. right and you're being influenced by very spiritual 
influences mm -hmm. that they it, this is what happens they say to you ah look at this pretty girl in this commercial oh why don't you oh now shame on you for lust right right Oh, right. oh, that's how it works. Oh, that's how I didn't know that's how it worked. Right? Like, oh, look at this nice car. Mm -hmm. and look at these fancy jewels and look at this fame that you could have. Now you shame on you for wanting to be rich. Right. right. That's the world we're living in. Right. So shame, it comes from the devil. And what was the other word you said? Guilt. Guilt comes from God. Shame comes from the devil. Guilt comes from God. It's completely opposite sides of the mirrors. There, you look at each other in the mirror, and it's sort of similar, but completely opposite. I'm going to flip that a little bit. I don't think guilt comes from God. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, but sorry, guilt, wrong but, word. But, 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 but guilt is what we put on ourselves because of that conviction. But it is it is what it is what gives us it it is what softens our hearts. True conviction, yes, yes, yeah. It, okay, it, so it, maybe it, not guilt, right? But conviction. So conviction right. versus shame. Something right. has to be the opposite of shame, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Shame right. Is, is not a God word. I no. know that for a fact. Well, th think of the garden. You know, everything was fine. Yeah. Until who told you you were naked? Yeah. Who told you you should be ashamed. You're naked. Yeah. Exactly. What they say? Well, we were ashamed. Yeah. So that that is where shame entered entered the, entered entered the world what, is right after the the serpent deceived them. Well, the, you know, shame it, is a it, deception. Yes, it's a deception all the time, and we're still living in it. People don't think right. we're still living in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, we're still living in the Garden of Eden. This is still the Garden of Eden. But it's, uh, it's been, no, no. Okay. Sorry. Wrong. wrong. I didn't mean to say that. It, we're still living in, in after, uh, uh, after they ate the apple. Right. Yeah. Cause that the garden, garden, it, it, the garden I, I of Eden before. was before they ate the apple. Right. Yes. But, but, but yes. what, what, what I love, I love a former pastor is like, Snow and winter were not part of the Garden of Eden. Snow and winter are a result of the fall. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, what, what do you think about uh, that? You think that? It, it, yeah, one, I, I don't know if he really meant that, but I think he was saying that, um, you know, the Garden of Eden was perfect. There was no, you know, where, you know, there was no shame. There was no need for the ground to need to take a break. No, but if you did get snow, you weren't necessarily going to be cold. You were going, you, you know what I mean? Like if you're living in the Garden of Eden and it turns into snow, winter wonderland. It's the Garden of Eden. You're going to be protected <laughs> with the clothes that, that protects you from the snow. So you're we're going you're, down a rabbit hole. We don't need. Yeah, to go we down. are. All right, let's <laughs> we're get not theologians. No, we're not. We're not. But we're but we are Bible believers. Yes, and we both we, we have, have experience. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I love it. Thank you. And I uh, I do want uh, to go to that to that. When is it again? The date for the uh, event? April April 29th to May first. It's in Southeast Indiana, probably about a half hour or so outside of Louisville. Okay. Uh, you have the exact address you can send me, and then I could post it on this uh, yep. whenever, yep. I, whenever yep. I post it on there so that uh, yep. people that want to go and go down there can go. Awesome. I think the registration deadline is, I think, beginning of April. Okay. So, so. 
Yeah, plenty, not- plenty of time to still okay. be able okay. to go. Cool. Yeah, okay, I super. hope that I can be able to go. That'd be great. So, yeah, that, that's all. That's all I. That's all I had. Um, honestly, before we go down rabbit holes, because anything else, I'll go. To, I'll go down <laughs> rabbit holes. And, you know, and I, I just want to make sure that uh, that your message, the message that you wanted to portray, is portrayed uh, exactly how you wanted it. Yeah, I think my overall message when I speak, you know, as a life coach, wherever wherever it is I do, you know, as God opens up doors, my message is simply, it's okay to not be okay, and and my heart is especially for the Christians, for the for the churchgoer, because I think, unfortunately, Christians don't have an understanding of mental health. And they shoot their wound. The church shoots its wounded often, unfortunately, because of lack of understanding, um, fear, and, and misinterpretation and misunderstanding of things. So I am, I'm a herald trumpet of hope. I'm a voice of hope, especially to believers who are struggling to simply say, first of all, it is okay to not be okay. That's the first and foremost. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to paint paint the perfect family and perfect picture. That we live in a fallen world. And while we are not responsible for what happened to us, we are responsible for how we respond to what happened to us. And that's the higher calling God has on our lives is to let him into that area. Whatever it is, wherever the woundedness is, whatever the healing needs to happen, God wants to step in and make it make us whole. And, and that's what that's that's my message. And, and it starts with it starts with a step that no one else can do for you. And it's first of all, my challenge to, to your listeners is this because because this is where the turning point came from me. Dare to believe that you matter. Because when we don't pick up the phone and reach out for help or call a friend or talk to somebody, it's because we feel that we're a burden, that nothing's going to change, that we don't matter, that we're too far gone. All the things you heard me say earlier that I believed about myself. But I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the pit and don't believe it anymore. Because that lie is what is keeping you sidelined. As much as you may think there's something out there I want to get to do, and I can't get to that, so I may as well just quit. That's a lie from the pit keeping you sidelined because the enemy knows that if you get out there and do what God's got on your heart to do, that he's in trouble. So yes, he's going to do whatever he can with whatever room we give him to operate in our lives. I am not one who thinks there's a devil devil behind every corner. But what I will say is that I think we cooperate with the enemy more than we realize. My friend Kathy Sprinkle talks about I mean, why do you make contracts with the enemy? And that's a, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty severe con- you know, statement. But when we believe the lies, we're, buy- we're buying in. We've signed the contract that we agree to this. And I'm saying we need to tear it up. Sprinkle says that um, you know, she has, has a friend, Beth, who's also involved in the retreats. And years ago, Beth, you know, 
Kathy and Beth were, were driving or whatever, and Beth looked at her and said, and I may botch some of this, but along the lines of, if you spoke to me the way you speak to yourself, I wouldn't hang out with you. And because, because Kathy, you know, Kathy said at that point in time, her self-talk was just so bad. And Sprinkle will say that we, we all, we're all on a jerk spectrum. We all have a, have a jerk inside us. And we need two or three people in our lives to tell us when our jerk is showing. That comes down to, again, needing to be vulnerable, needing to dare to believe that you matter. Because if we don't believe we matter, why are we going to listen to anybody else? Why are we going to let those people into our lives? The, the hardest step of healing is the one that no one else can take for you. It starts with daring to believe you matter. And then it takes action to pick up the phone. Pick up the phone to a counselor. Pick up the phone to me. Send me an email. I'm, I'm happy to, to work with you. I, I, I'm a master certified life coach. Coaching and counseling are different, but if there are things that within coaching that I can help you with, I actually have a few openings. I have usually have a few openings each youth, a couple times throughout the year. I'm in that window right now where I have have space to take on a few new clients. Call me. We can set something up. We can talk and make sure that it's something that I can cover through coaching. If it is something more counseling related, I'd be happy to get help find, help you find a resource for you. That's the least I can do for you. But that's my message. It's okay to not be okay. Dare to believe that you matter and then walk in that. And that first step is pick up the phone, send a text, send an email, whatever, to reach out and take that first step to, to show yourself that you believe that you matter. Amen. Subos, do you want to lead us off with a, with an ending prayer? I would love to. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the listeners, no matter when they're listening to this. Thank you for Josh and, and his show and his heart to, to reach masses. Father, whatever was said tonight, I pray, Lord, there are nuggets that are dropped in the lives and the hearts of each listener. And Lord, that they would, they, they would hear from you and Holy Spirit, that you would pour water on that nugget that you would cause it to grow with whatever the need is, be it encouragement, be it healing, be it just confirmation, or maybe something was said that they can use to help somebody else. All of us have something that, all of us, excuse me, all of us have something to offer. We only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind us, God. Help us be courageous to take that step. Help us be courageous to not only reach out for help ourselves, but then also to reach out behind us and help the person behind us so that we form that human chain of support that shows your power, your glory, your majesty, and your healing. So thank you for tonight, Lord. Um, may, may, may only your words be heard and, and your heart be heard. And Lord, uh, we pray if you, if you allow it, that you'd let us hear how you're working in the lives of the listeners. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, Susan Bowles. Sue. Susan. Sue. Uh, Susan. Sorry. We're not being formal. <laughs> uh, you're a friend of the show uh, here and forever. I hope that we can grow. I hope that you can come back on and share more of uh, your knowledge and your uh, care for humanity and what's mm -hmm. happening Thanks. these days. So Really Thanks. appreciate your time and uh, God bless you. Thank you. And I'll see you at retreat in April.
I will be there. All right. All right. Bye-bye.